0: we are called by St. Paul to redeem the time for the days are evil. Now, we might say, well, how do we do that? And many of you have heard me preach on this, so you probably know the answer, and I'm cheating. But one of the options, we could put on a very dour and sour face uh, that so many Christians put on trying to show everyone how serious their faith is. Um, Instead of that, perhaps... Um, we're supposed to have that really zealous look uh, on fire for Jesus, an approach to life that says redeeming the time is taking souls to heaven with us when we go. Or are we to spend every day in our prayer closet redeeming the time through prayer alone? Perhaps we redeem time by studying the scriptures, no time for anything but immersing oneself in the word of God. Of course, each of these options is a caricature, but the reality is that many of these positions are more or less taken up, excuse me, taken up as the rallying cry for true Christianity, for the true way to really redeem time in these evil days. Of course, the scriptural lesson generally tends to be balance, and moderation. So we can assume that as much as a serious faith, an evangelizing spirit, a real prayer life, and a real life of study is godly. Each of them ought to be part of a balanced Christian life. Yet it is so easy for us to get off course That one or another of those areas, or another one even, can seem to take over and we lose the balance. You've heard the old saw that you fall off the horse on one side, so you jump back on. Make sure you don't fall off on that side and you fall off on the other side. What does St. Paul say? He says to be wise in our redeeming of time. He focuses on wisdom and knowing the Lord's will. He focuses on wise balance. Don't be excessive. He uses the example of wine, but we could easily insert food, the sin of gluttony, or other habits that can control us, such as a caffeine habit. Instead of being controlled by a substance or habit, St. Paul calls us to be filled with the Spirit. I wonder, do we pray such a prayer ourselves very often? Do we ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit? Are we concerned about being led by his Spirit moment by moment? Or do we make sure that there is little room for the Holy Spirit in our lives and that our ears are closed to his voice? So let me ask you a question. Are you in the habit of speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs saying and making melody to in your heart to the Lord. Now, particularly, I think about many of our students and we do a lot of singing and I'm sorry, but Les Miserables and Hello Dolly, these don't count as fun as they are and as sometimes uh, expressing a joyful spirit. Nor do some of those trite songs that were being sung in the car yesterday in that long drive. Um, But generally, are you predisposed to be giving thanks to God all the time? Literally, do you tend to sing? And some of you do. And I know some of you well enough. I live with some of you. So I know that singing comes out naturally. And that's a wonderful thing. Do you tend to bring the word of God into your life in joy? Do you sing canticles? Do you sing hymns? I encourage you, don't be afraid to do that. Yes, our world will look at you a little strangely, but who cares? If they're not looking at you strangely already, then I don't think you're living your life Christianly enough. Is your character marked by the exhilaration of being in Christ? Is your heart full of Christ's joy? Is it a singing heart? And therefore, do you reflect that to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do they see joy in you? Or do they see your sin coming out? Those are really the two options. There's no sort of, I'm not sinning, but I'm not glorying in God either. You're either climbing up the hill towards Christ or you're tumbling down it. All right, maybe slipping a few steps. It wasn't a good day, I climbed three steps and slipped back two. I get it. But the, the idea is we're we're walking upwards, upwards to the upward call of Christ. When someone thinks of you, do they think, Wow, what a joyful heart she has? My, how he just shares the joy of Christ with everyone he meets. We had, I, I was down in San Luis Obispo at the end of the week, and um, I did a Mass, and we had a visitor, which is a good sign. It's a very small, kind of beat-up church in some ways, because they've lost their priest, and there was all, just lots of hurt. And both times I've, been, I've done a Mass there, they have had visitors. That's a really a good sign. And the visitor came up to me after the service, I said, well, you know, I met him. I said, well, you know, what's your background? He says, I was born again 20 some odd years ago, and I love Jesus. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this must have looked very foreign to him. And, you know, know, maybe he was, what's going on? His response, I said, oh, okay, great. So what church? And he told me what church. And and I I thought again, "Uh uh-oh, I don't think he's ever seen anything like he just saw. I said, well, what'd you think? He said, wow, we just praised God, didn't we? It's awesome. We're called to praise God, and that's what we just did. I love those kind of responses where I'm worried about, well, this is very foreign. And people just go, that's awesome. It was the word of God. We heard the word of God. I remember my first first experience in a liturgical church was an Anglican church. And I finished, and the one thought that popped in my head was, "I think we just heard more scripture in that one service than I've heard in the last year's worth of services at the church i had attended during college." That—that's what I came. I was struck with that. I don't know what he was particularly struck with, although it seemed like just the exuberance of praising God is—is—is is, is kind of what I heard. But I didn't—I didn't question further. If we don't have that attitude, we need to stop and ask the question, what's stopping the Holy Spirit from leading me, filling me, giving me peace and joy? The easy answer is, of course, sin. But we don't tend to look at a lot of our life as sin. We tend to see anxiety as justified. We had that discussion around the dinner table. We tend to see the sin of dejection as just depression. And, you know, maybe I'm having a rough day. And and yes, there are reasons. Yes, there normally are all sorts of mitigating factors about why you might be dealing with the emotional life you're dealing with or the anxiety etc but i think we lose sight of the fact that a lot of this not all but a lot of this mixture of stuff going on in our lives is sin no it's not murdering your brother um you know maybe not hate maybe not violent anger But if we're not doing sort of, we have bars in our life. And it's like, oh man, I went above the bar. Okay, I really need to apologize. But there might be a foot or two below the bar that we probably should apologize for as well. Or at least to God. So I'm not trying to call us out as horrible sinners. Although we're all miserable offenders. But I am trying to help us to think for a moment well, maybe there's more going on in my daily life that I take for granted that I should examine more closely. I should examine more closely my motivations, my heart attitudes. Maybe I say the same good morning and most people don't notice anything, but maybe I'm still harboring sin. That's the truth of it is as we get better at pursuing holiness, then we've got to dig down into that soil and root stuff up that other people maybe aren't even seeing. Frustration: Have you ever been frustrated? That's one of my big sins. And you're like, "Well, wait a minute. Frustration's a sin. I think the dictionary definition is not, but my response most of the time is: Have you ever said, "I'm so frustrated?" No, yet yeah, really you're angry. Right? I mean, let's be honest. We're, we're into the sin of wrath. And that's actually one of the big ones. Um, and that's me. I do that all the time. And I have to later go, No, you weren't just frustrated. You were ticked off. Um, and I'm pretty sure, I don't know about you, but for me, 99% of the time, it's not righteous anger. Right? I mean, I'm just too selfish for that. Whatever that underlying sin is for you. Get rid of it. Nail it to the cross because that's where it belongs. We don't even see it all the time, but we need to look closer, drag it up out of the depths of our hearts and nail it to the cross. Christ has conquered it and we are to conquer it as well. If we think for a moment, I'm sure we could... Lists some sins in our lives that keep us from experiencing the filling of the Spirit, which is far more exhilarating than any cup of wine or plate full of food. So let us repent of our sins this morning as we approach the feast of our Lord. You see, the feasting that we do on earth, the fine uh, uh, glass of wine, the exquisite and sumptuous fare, is to be done in recognition of that leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is to be done in thanksgiving and praise from a heart of joy, giving glory to God for the great blessings that he gives us each and every day. The feasting we do this morning is even more important. It is the feast of our Lord Christ. It is a feast that we dare not come to unprepared as our gospel lesson reminded us. And as another similar gospel lesson, I don't remember the reference, um, reminds us that nothing really is more important. Not even getting married. Definitely not checking out a new piece of land. or I mean, you know, the gospel lesson, I can't remember the reference, t- puts down all these reasons why people said, yeah, I can't come. And then our host in our gospel lesson today comes in and he's already gotten rid of all the ones that (laughs) didn't want to come and weren't prepared to come but he looks and there's someone there who's unprepared and it doesn't look very good for him so we must come to this feast prepared so we repent that's preparation um it is not unusual to prepare all week The daily office, by the way, that's one of our main means of redeeming time is to participate in the daily office. And if you can pray the Lord's Prayer in the morning and in the evening, remember that you are participating. Yes, let's grow that, but let's start there and participate in the office of the church that has been going on since the early church, since the apostles, and has been going on in the Old Testament church since the time of Moses. So that is preparation for Sundays. and uh, the great uh, Russian Orthodox theologian, uh, argued, I never forgot this, read this years ago, he said, the daily office is the the office of, is the liturgy of time, whereas what we're doing this morning is the liturgy outside of time. We go to heaven, and we leave creation behind in some spiritual sense, and we participate in the heavenlies, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. The daily office is the liturgy of time. It's the liturgy of redeeming that time. We're saying, yes, God, this portion of my day in the morning is yours. And then the evening, this portion of the the day is yours, God. But the implication is that all the time in between is also God's. And we're to live our life so that that shows forth. No, we're probably not all of us praying every moment. If we did that, I wouldn't say, I'm so frustrated. Um, I'd be saying, God, I'm just going to give you that, and I'll be at peace. And That's a journey. Um, so every daily office we do, we're looking back to the last time we communed, and we're looking forward in anticipation to our next communion, to our next Eucharistic feasting. Uh, it's not also unusual for Saturday nights to be a particular preparation time. To really anticipate that tomorrow, God, I'm going to come into your presence in a way that is totally unique in the worship of the church. I'm going to, I'm going to have you in my hands, in my mouth. In, you are going to fill me. And so we prepare the night before. It's also not unusual then the morning of to prepare to meet God Sunday mornings. And uh, there are plenty of um, devotional texts that have prayers for the preparation of communion. There are uh, plenty of uh, practices. So, a fasting communion is very traditional. It doesn't send you to heaven or hell if you do or don't do it. But it is a tradition of preparing to receive Jesus as the first thing of the day. Um, so, and these practices have been around for century upon century. So, I encourage you, prepare. Prepare. The appropriate wedding garment has also much to do with peace and with joy given us by the Holy Ghost, for that is being clothed with Christ our Redeemer. Christ's words take this feast very seriously. Write his gospel words. And therefore so ought you and I. As we approach his table this morning, may we come with the fear of God for that is at least the beginning of wisdom. May we come with hearts confessed and cleansed and with joy and peace in the Holy Spirit as he fills us by means of word and sacrament. Behold, all things are ready. We are bidden to the feast. May we redeem the time here today in worship and tomorrow in living out that worship in joy and thanksgiving, making melody in our hearts and to each other, So husbands, wives, I'm going to ask you this week, have you been singing to your spouse? I know some of you say, I really don't want to hear that. (laughs) But may we sing in our hearts and to each other the melody of the redeemed and sanctified in Christ Jesus. Amen.